Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 35 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brina Garen, and let's face it, we are all broke. I mean, I'm making a broad assumption there, I know, and if you aren't, I'm tremendously happy for you. But the fact of the matter is that most of you listening to this podcast are probably less than two lost paychecks away from choosing between food and medicine or not being able to afford your housing. I know, I'm right there with you. And, like any writer, I decided to deal with the source of some of my recent anxiety by doing words about it, in as tangential a fashion as I can manage, which means you get to listen to me talk about it. So this month, we're going to discuss money magic. We're going to talk about a few of the more well-known methods for casting such spells, a few of the materials you might want to use for the purpose, how to avoid unwanted sources for your requested windfall, and why it's good to keep your expectations reasonable when casting these types of spells. I'm also going to take a minute or two to talk about some of the differing viewpoints raised by the witchcraft community when it comes to monetizing one's craft, as well as a little peek into what it's like to make witchcraft part of your living. Spoiler alert, there is so much work involved. But first, as always, a couple of announcements. I'm going to be at two markets at Diversity Richmond this month. I will be there Sunday, June 11th from noon to 5 for the annual Pride Witch Market, and again on Sunday, June 25th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. for the Midsummer Witch Market. Once again, these are brought to you by the fabulous people of the River City Witches and the wonderful staff at Diversity Richmond. I'll have my books and kits and other goodies ready to roll, including those new powders I mentioned last month. And if you've been following me on Tumblr, you may have already seen the designs for the special Pride Month stickers that will be at my table and subsequently in the Willow Wings Witch Shop. So if you can make it, please do stop by. I always love meeting my readers and listeners. It makes my entire day, and I love you all. As I mentioned back in May, Hex Positive is now on YouTube. The queue has begun, and every two weeks there will be a video version of an old episode going up on the channel. I'm planning to make playlists for the Witchways minisodes and the bonus episodes sometime in the future as well. And I'm going to be adding closed captions to the videos for better accessibility. I know YouTube has auto-generate captions on most of their videos, but I want to go ahead and use my transcripts to outline what I'm actually saying for clarity. So make sure you subscribe to my channel at youtube.com slash at hexpositive, just like you're hopefully subscribed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 
speaking of Spotify, if you're listening to the show on that platform, I'm now going to be including a question and a poll with each episode for my listeners to participate in. This gives you the opportunity to give feedback, ask questions, and even help me pick topics for future episodes. So make sure you check out those options on Spotify once you're done listening and not doing anything that requires you to pay attention, like driving. And of course, positive ratings are always welcome because they help the show reach more listeners and they fill my wicked little heart with joy. <laughs> so with that out of the way, Let's get into it. Magic addresses a lot of common human needs and desires, so it makes sense that the need for financial solvency is going to be part of that. Prosperity and wealth magic go back just as far as spells for things like love and protection and cursing one's enemies. It's something that people seeking to use magic to change their lot in life have pretty much always had an interest in. Basic human concerns. You want to be safe, you want to be happy, and you want to be able to live comfortably. Prosperity magic has taken a lot of forms over the centuries, too. It's not always just about spells for direct monetary gain or career advancement or upward social mobility. There's also a marked history of various spells for finding treasure, be it some buried loot from ancient times, or a secret cache of gold or jewels hidden by whatever supernatural creature from that region tends to maintain such a hoard. And the neat thing is, we know these ideas existed in common belief because it was so commonplace for people to be using magical means to look for lost treasure that there were actual laws passed regarding the practice. In fact, there is language in Henry VIII's Witchcraft Act of 1541, Elizabeth I's Witchcraft Act of 1563, and the almost identical Irish Witchcraft Act of 1586, which specifically outlaw the use of magic or conjurations of demons or familiar spirits to assist a person in finding stolen items, money, or lost treasure. All of these were later repealed, of course, with later acts and revisions in 1735 and 1821, but it points to not only the prevalence of wealth magic in the minds of the populace, but also that it was apparently in common and frequent practice. Now, keep in mind that while this was considered witchcraft at the time, the people using these methods would not have identified themselves as witches. Nor were they secret pagans or members of some underground goddess cult. This is just a record of the common beliefs and superstitions of the time, which is still very interesting. Perhaps it was reminiscent of some older practice, that's always a possibility, but it wasn't considered any more pagan than crossing your fingers for good luck or blessing someone than they sneeze is considered today. What the problem was back in the day is that the finding of treasure through magical means was strongly associated with necromancy and demonolatry. That's what the laws were forbidding, this alleged summoning of spirits or conjuration of demons to help a person find hidden wealth. Because remember, back then there was no such thing as separation between church and state. 
this association with summoning evil spirits and making pacts with demons still persists in some parts of the world where the fear of witches and witchcraft continues to exist and cause social problems. This is something I talked about back in the September 2021 episodes about witchcraft and the law. Like, this isn't just a problem with the second wave satanic panic going on in the U.S. where I live, which is so much fun. There are still literal witch hunts happening elsewhere in the world. If you're interested in more information on the history of European and American laws regarding witchcraft and the modern state of the legal system as it applies to witchcraft, you can definitely check out those September 2021 episodes. I believe it's episodes 20 and 21. Every modern witchcraft tradition that I know of has some form of wealth drawing or prosperity bringing magic in its practices. Some ask particular deities to bestow blessings in that arena. Some call on particular spirits or servitors or ancestral figures for assistance. And some concoct oils and potions and charms for the purpose. It pretty much runs the gamut. Even the love and light witchcraft traditions that insist that magic should only ever be used for the good of others have some kind of prosperity magic in them, though they may have rules or guidelines against the use of it for personal gain. Me personally, I have no such compunctions, and I love a good money jar. Coins, a few herbs, maybe a piece of paper if I'm asking for something specific, maybe a few wishes written on bay leaves, then amber or orange oil on the rim, cap it, seal it with green wax, call it a day. There's a hundred different variations on this theme. Jar spells are great like that. It doesn't even have to be anything fancy. You can just put a prosperity or money drawing charm on the jar where you put your spare change, and voila, there's your money jar. Coins and money spells, I think the correlation there is pretty clear. It's a basic ingredient for a lot of money spells. If you have money, it will attract more money. That is the general thought behind it. You can keep a little bottle of rice or sesame seeds on your altar or just somewhere in the house to keep money coming in and prevent hardship. Uh, seeds and grains in magic tend to represent fertility and growth, but they also represent abundance, particularly of food and other necessities. If I recall correctly, the tradition of keeping a bottle of sesame or rice to keep hardship away is a Chinese tradition, I think. It's been a long time since someone told me about it, and I could not find the reference. I am sorry. I know the association of oranges with wealth is a Chinese belief. The Chinese word for mandarin oranges is a homonym for the word for money kind of similar to how the word for fish is a homonym for the word for balance, as in bank balance, which is why they wish people fish in the new year. We wish you money and a positive bank balance in the new year. Plus, oranges have that lovely golden hue, so it's not hard to see where the association comes from. Uh, I believe there's actually a Chinese New Year tradition that involves rolling coins and oranges over the threshold for good luck, which I think is absolutely charming. That must be a lot of fun. The use of a fruit or grain as a symbol for wealth and prosperity is a fairly common occurrence. It's a recurring theme. 
back in more agrarian days, a field full of wheat or an orchard full of apples was money in your pocket. A good harvest meant paid bills, full pantries, and enough food to get through the winter. So we see money and prosperity associations in a lot of staple crops, like the wheat and the rice that I mentioned before, but also things like apples, corn, potatoes, cabbage, beans, nuts, and so forth. In the American South, we also have foods like collard greens and black-eyed peas, which are traditionally served at New Year's Eve dinners to bring prosperity. Actually, up north, my mother always served pork loin and sauerkraut, which is basically the same tradition, just with different components. We also see wealth-related associations in fruits that were once seen as luxuries, particularly things like grapes, pomegranates, figs, apricots, mangoes, and such like. Also, pretty much any fruit or vegetable with a yellow or golden color to it is likely to have a money-related folkloric association in the regions where it grows. If you turn to the correspondence tables in any book on plant magic, the three longest sections are likely to be for love, money, and protection, those three basic desires we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Chances are that you have plenty of money-drawing and prosperity herbs in your spice cabinet and herb box already, and if I try to list them out, we'll be here all week. So I'm just going to tell you my favorites, and I will leave the research to you. My most commonly used ones are allspice, basil, bergamot, cinnamon, clover, dill, ginger, goldenrod, golden seal, orange peel, parsley, and sassafras. And of course, you can use these in the jar spell I mentioned earlier, or you can tuck them into a sachet or a paper packet to carry with you. Oh, let's see what else. You can make a sigil for money drawing, either a currency symbol or something all your own, and keep that on a slip of paper in your wallet or your change jar. You can use money drawing stones like aventurine, citrine, and pyrite, like a receiving antenna to draw in prosperity and keep the funds coming into your household. I know some witches make a crystal grid for this purchase as well. If you want something to practice on, there's a Witchways mini-sode with a spell called Straw Into Gold that I'm pretty partial to. It's a simple jar spell. You just need a little jar, a few bobbins, some yellow thread, and an anointing oil of your choice. And you can throw some coins in as well as you want to. I could go on and on. The point is, there are endless ways of putting together a spell to draw in money. It might seem like this is the type of spell that would mandate fancy tools or materials, but I've found that the simplest ones work just as well, without putting a hole in your budget ahead of the potential gain. The simplest money-drawing spell I've ever heard of is simply making sure that there's always a piece of currency in your pocket, even if it's something small. That's it. A penny, a dollar, a dime, something. That way... You're never truly broke, and the presence of that money is supposed to attract more. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast and would like to help support the show, make sure you visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop. 
There you can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestlework, or shop for specialty items you won't find anywhere else, like witch web kits, vials of my homemade banishing powder, and podcast merch. Use code HEXPOSITIVE to get a special surprise with your order. Visit brinacaron.wordpress.com shop and place your order today. And now, back to the show. But there's a common concern when witches do money magic, and that is, where is the money going to come from? Which is a pretty valid concern when you think about it. You don't want to cast a money draw spell and then suddenly something awful happens and your windfall comes from a big insurance settlement. Or you get a phone call that a beloved relative has passed away and you're getting a lot of money from their estate. Generally, the thought is, I don't want this spell to accidentally cause a disaster that somehow brings me wealth. The good news is that, generally speaking, that's not how things work. Generally speaking, a spell that is meant to attract prosperity is not likely to also attract ill fortune. However, fate is fickle, and you can never be too careful. You never want to be left wondering. So, there are things you can do to kind of pare down the possibilities when it comes to the source of that money you're hoping for. We're going to get into a little bit of personal practice here, but I've seen other witches employ this as well. There are two basic ways that I usually go about this in my spell work. One is to be specific about what I'm asking for. If I'm casting a money draw spell, usually with that jar method we talked about earlier, when I put in each coin or component, I'll give an option for where the money might come from, usually according to the level of possibility I ascribe to each one. A quarter for the shop, a dime for a raise, a nickel for a loan, a penny for a gift, something like that. So I'm giving the spell some guidelines to work within. Does that mean I might have to take on extra work? Yes. Does narrowing the field of possibility mean that the chance of the spell succeeding could be lower? Maybe. But at least I will have some assurance that the money I'm trying to summon into my life will come from a source that is less likely to come with nasty surprises attached. Which leads me to the second method. Closing loopholes. I've talked about this once or twice with some of the Witchway spells, particularly the Golden Tree. This idea that you can include a caveat in your spell to directly state where you don't want the money to come from. In that spell, which is a little bag charm to bring funds when you need them, I include a little incantation as I'm sewing up the bag, which goes... Needle, needle, weave your thread and bind this spoken charm. This spell will bring me what I need and it will do no harm. One of my few concessions to the do no harm set. When I seal up jar spells, I do something similar. Whereas I'm empowering or sealing the jar, I'll say something along the lines of what I wish will come from my own effort or the kindness of others, not from pain or sorrow. This is a method which tries to weed out the possibility of a windfall coming from death or disaster. It's certainly not foolproof, nothing is, 
but it does help to give me peace of mind when I do these types of spells. And again, it's something I've seen other witches talk about as a component they use in their own craft, although, of course, their methods vary, their wording varies, and their thought process may vary. That actually reminds me of another concern that gets raised during discussions about money magic. Some witches will argue that any kind of personal prosperity drawing is unethical, their reasoning being that in order for you to get what you need or what you want, somebody else must go without. And according to them, that means doing magic to better your lot makes you a bad or selfish person. I'm not sure if this is a cultural Christianity guilt complex or the late stage capitalism or classist bootstrap rhetoric talking, but honey, honey, no. If you buy a sandwich, sure that means the person in line behind you might not get that exact sandwich. But hey, look, there are other sandwiches and people behind the counter preparing more sandwiches and somebody over there who has an extra sandwich they might be willing to share. And if they run out of sandwiches for the day, there's always tomorrow. In any case, the fact that you need to eat does not make you a bad person for buying a sandwich. The point is, it's okay to look to your own needs. If you have more than you need and you can share, if you have that extra sandwich, of course that's a good idea and a kind and commendable thing to do. But if you don't have what you need, if you have no sandwich and you want to do something to change that, by all means, do it. You are not morally obligated to go hungry just because there are other people in line. You are not morally obligated to go without necessary resources. It is the moral obligation of people with more resources than they need, more than most people could ever amass in a working lifetime, to share those resources. There are plenty of sandwiches, and the fact that some people hoard them unethically doesn't mean the rest of us should go hungry. It means there should be systems in place to make sure everyone has the sandwiches they need and the condiments to go with them. But I'm getting on my anti-capitalist soapbox and we're getting off topic, so let's regroup. There is nothing morally or ethically wrong with casting spells to make sure your bills get paid. I mean, what even is the point of witchcraft if you're not going to use it to cover those basic human concerns? We want to be safe. We want to be happy. We want to be able to live comfortably. And that means being able to have fun and treat ourselves and enjoy life without breaking the bank in the process. I say, if you're not getting a living wage, if you're doing everything you can to make ends meet and you want to go ahead and supplement that with magic, do it. Because fuck billionaires and mega corporations, witchcraft is an act of rebellion and we deserve our damn coffee in the morning. Advocate for yourself, know your worth. Anyway, all of this leads to another important question. If we can use witchcraft to attract wealth and prosperity, why aren't witches raking it in left, right, and center and twice on Sundays? If freaking only. The unfortunate fact is that's simply not how magic works. It's not a 100% guarantee of success, let alone riches beyond our wildest dreams. If it were trust and believe, I would have quit my day job by now. Magic 
only ever increases the odds that things will go the way we want them to. And the odds of the thing in question happening may be remote to begin with. So casting a spell might help, but it might not be enough to tip the scales, as it were. Like if there's only a 5% chance of something happening, even if you double that chance with magic, that's still pretty remote. And sometimes we just have to accept that despite our best efforts, we're not going to get what we want. But it never hurts to try. So, if you want to use witchcraft to try and solve your financial problems or bring in extra income, just be aware that it's not foolproof. It might help, but keep your expectations reasonable, make sure you're taking practical steps as well, as always, and be aware that it might come with strings attached, like having to work extra hours or repay a loan. But never, ever feel bad about using magic to help make ends meet. In the words of the possibly immortal Taliesin Jaffe, life needs things to live, and witches, so do we. But don't let that lead you to fall for New Age bullshit, okay? I see a lot of chatter about the law of attraction in discussions about wealth and money magic. Just don't. Trey did a whole deep dive into the concept on BS Free Witchcraft a while back. Definitely go give that a listen. The law of attraction is basically prosperity gospel wearing a witchy hat. Sure, it tells you that you can manifest whatever you wish for or whatever you keep foremost in your mind, but that very quickly goes the other direction and tells you to blame yourself for everything that goes wrong in your life because you weren't thinking about the right things. It's the same mindset as you're only poor because you're lazy and not trying hard enough. Yeah, that's going to go over well. By all means, visualize your goals and your desires and use that as a tool in your practice. Just don't fall for toxic positivity with a side of elitism and victim blaming. So, money spells yes, law of attraction no. Speaking of using witchcraft to support your income, I want to take a quick moment before we go to address my fellow business witches, all of you out there who use some aspect of your craft to make money, whether you're a shop owner or a table jockey or doing dollar divinations from your blog. Try not to let the need for income overwhelm the joy that you find in your witchcraft. It's the same advice I'd give to anyone monetizing a skill or a hobby. It may be a source of income, but don't let it become a job. Don't let it become something that burns you out and makes you hate what you're doing. Remember to pace yourself and don't let your ambitions run away with your common sense. Keep those goals reasonable. And if you have big dreams, make a plan and chart your path. Also, make sure you keep records of your income and expenditures, especially if you plan to make enough money that you'll have to report it on your taxes. Take it from someone who literally makes a good chunk of her income from witchcraft. You might want to make sure you get your taxes right. And if you report your expenses, it can offset any untaxed income you might have. So keep track of those receipts for supplies, event fees, travel expenses, even your rent and utility bills. 
Here's a fun tip. If you use a room in your house as a dedicated workspace, that's technically a home office and you can deduct part of your rent or mortgage payments and a portion of your electricity and internet bills. I'm no tax expert, but that's a fun little trick I learned during my work from home days. So there you have it. Money magic is fun, so long as you keep your expectations reasonable, cover your ass, stay willing to put in the work, and try not to get ahead of yourself. You should be saving your pennies anyway, so why not start that simple money jar and put some magic into it? There's nothing wrong with using magic to get what you need or what you want, and that includes making sure the bills get paid and you can get your morning coffee too. That about wraps it up for this month, just a short one. Uh, please remember to rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and check out the interactive questions and polls on Spotify. Come and visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop and stop by my table at the Pride and Midsummer Witch Markets. I will be so happy to see you if you can make it. And as always, Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, where you can find shows ranging from live play to history to witchcraft, including my fabulous sibling show, BS Free Witchcraft. Make sure you check them out, show them some love. Until next time, I'm Brina Garen, reminding you to stay safe, count your pennies, and make them money, witches. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hacks.